And I'm gonna really, it's, it's, this is more, this, this um, message is really more of an introduction, but, but I wanted to uh, just to, to set some of the context and we begin um, back at, uh, at chapter, Exodus chapter 19, verse one. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear what I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. And be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or your ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray again together. Holy God, we praise you for your holy word. And for in your holy word, we see your holy law. Lord, when we see your law, when we see the requirements of your law, we realize that we cannot, that we have never obeyed it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our sin before you, especially, Lord, if there are people who are here this morning as unbelievers, we pray that you would work in their hearts by your Holy Spirit, that, that, that the, the pronouncement of the law might bring them repentance as they see their utter need, as they see that they, they stand before a holy God, a just God. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to find new life in Christ. And for those of us who are here this morning as, as born-again followers of Jesus Christ, we thank you that he obeyed the law that we could never obey. That he obeyed it fully every moment of his incarnation. In fact, for all eternity, he has obeyed the, the moral law of God that, that is the, the, through the covenant that, that we have never kept out of obedience to the covenant of redemption, this plan that God had to, to save a people, this inter-Trinitarian plan to save the elect. Lord, I pray that as we look at your law this week and, and for the remainder of our study, that, that you would be seen by us as holy, that we will respond in repentance, that we will respond in faith and obedience for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, when last we left the nation of Israel, at the completion of our studies of Genesis, we were in Egypt, at Joseph's deathbed. 
And Joseph had said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph assured them that God would visit them and then made them swear that they would bring his bones out of Egypt into the promised land. And now as we begin our study of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, a lot's taken place. The people of Israel have multiplied greatly in Egypt. A new Pharaoh has arisen who did not know God and, and how God had used Joseph to deliver Egypt from famine. This Pharaoh saw Israel as a threat. And so he enslaved Israel. He treated them harshly. The Lord has raised up Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And Moses went before Pharaoh and commanded, Let my people go. And when Pharaoh refused, the Lord used Moses to send a series of, of plagues upon Egypt, each more terrible than the last, culminating in the death, the plague of the death of the firstborn, in which every firstborn male in the land of Egypt was killed. Only the homes of the Hebrews who had sacrificed the Passover lamb and, and daubed the blood on the, the doorposts of their homes were spared. And only then was Israel allowed to depart Egypt. But Pharaoh had a change of heart. He mustered his chariots, his, his horsemen, and his army, and he pursued the nation of Israel to the shores of the Red Sea. But the Lord parted the waters of the Red Sea, allowing Israel to go through on dry land while Pharaoh and all his host were consumed in the returning waters. And so Israel set out in the wilderness towards the promised land, but, but almost immediately they began to grumble and to rebel. The Lord provided them with water. The Lord provided them with manna. The Lord delivered them from the attacking Amalekites. But then three months after leaving Egypt, here they were in the wilderness of Sinai at the feet of Mount Sinai. And Israel encamped around the mountain while Moses climbed the mountain to approach God. And the Lord called out to Moses and told him to speak to the people of Israel and to tell them, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out myself. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people agreed. At least externally, saying, saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And the Lord told Moses to tell the people to consecrate themselves, to, to wash their garments, to abstain, abstain from, from physical relations, and because the Lord is going to descend on Mount Sinai. And Moses was warned that no one or nothing was to touch the mountain on pain of death. And then on the third day, the Lord descended on the mountain. And the mountain was wreathed with smoke like the, the fire of a kiln. There was thunder and lightning. There was a very loud trumpet blast, and the mountain shook greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered from the thunder. And the Lord descended on the mountain and, and called him up. And, and the Lord spoke to Moses to, to tell them again to, to not let the people approach or they would perish. 
He told the priests also to consecrate themselves. And then God told Moses that, that only he and Aaron would be allowed to approach him. And then we have the words of chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We're going to spend 10 weeks, in addition to this one, studying the Ten Commandments. But this morning I want to ask you a series of preliminary questions by the way of introduction to the Ten Commandments. So this will be taken mainly from chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. So this series of questions then will serve as an introduction to our study of these commandments. Well, the first question, who gave the commandments? Well, notice, first of all, who's speaking here? It's not Moses. It's God. Now, the name God that is used here is, is translated from the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a, a, a plural word with a singular meaning. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the one who is revealing His word. God spoke all these words. These are God's commandments. And as such, they are a reflection of God's will. And they're a reflection of God's nature. God is righteous and his law is righteous. Psalm 119 verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. God is good and his law is good. No one is good except God alone. Matthew 10.18. And the law is good if one uses it lawfully. 1 Timothy 1.8. God is holy and the law is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6.3. And the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Romans 7, 14. So again, so God's, God's law is a reflection of, of his will, and it's a reflection of his nature, of his character. Now in verse 2, God declares, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, if you have your Bible open here, I'd notice that, that the word Lord there is in all capitals. When, when you see that, that name Lord in all capitals, capital, a large capital L with a, a smaller capital O-R-D, it's referring to Yahweh, the, the covenant name for God. It was the name that, that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush at Exodus 3. When, when Moses asked, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh, this means I am. The Lord is the I am. Am. He is the one who is. He is the one who does not change yesterday and today and forever. God's nature does not change and God's moral will does not change. The Lord is the one who has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. The, the Lord is the one who has kept his promises. He has been faithful to his covenant with Israel. The, the giving of the, the Ten Commandments then is a, it's a continuation of God's covenant faithfulness. The, the Lord revealed His commandments to Israel because He has chosen them as His covenant people. He promised in Deuteronomy uh, 28.9, 
The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And so in declaring his commandments to Israel, the Lord is being gracious. Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Paul speaks of the major advantage of the Jews that they received in, in Romans 3, 1 and 2, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. So then the Lord God is the giver of the Ten Commandments as a rep representation of his righteous, good, holy character and will. Well, then that takes us to our next question. What are the Ten Commandments? We need to understand what the commandments, commandments are and how they fit into redemption history. The Ten Commandments are given here as part of the Mosaic Covenant. Now, we spoke repeatedly through our studies in Genesis uh, about the covenants that God made with his people. The Lord is a relational God and he relates to man through covenants. The 1689 London Baptist Confession says that the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their, their creator, yet they could never have attained the reward of life, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which has been pleased to express by way of covenant. Nehemiah Cox is one of the, the principal authors of the 1689 Confession, defines covenant as a declaration of the sovereign pleasure concerning the benefits he will bestow on them, the communion that he will have with them, and the way and the means by which this will be enjoyed by them. As we know, the first covenant that God made with man is commonly, commonly referred to as the covenant of of works. It's a, a law of universal obedience written on the heart. Now, even though the Gentiles did not receive the, the law in codified form, as, as we see here in Exodus, they do have the law written on their hearts. Paul speaks of this in, in Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even they do not, though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now, with this law written on the heart, there was a, a specific command. We talked about with the kids, the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's given to Adam in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Now, what's unique about the, the covenant of works is that it says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Perfect obedience is required. Obey and live, disobey and die. And John Owen explained that if, if Adam had obeyed perfectly, he would enter into perfect rest. But Adam broke the terms of the covenant and was cut off from that rest. And so he would have no access to the, the satisfaction and blessing that could be found only in God. Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and so he broke, the, he broke the covenant of works and was condemned to die. And in this, Adam was our federal head, our representative. 
And so all of humanity as, as being under, as, as being under, who was under Adam, their federal head, was under the same condemnation. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In our nature, we were born under Adam. We were born totally depraved, unable to please God or, or do anything to, to, to obey God. And the ensuing covenants then that we see in the scriptures, including the, the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant that we're looking at here, they all have, have conditional elements. All of them have, have conditional elements, yet they, there's also in them a promise of the covenant of grace. And, and so in this, they, they point typologically to the one in whom true forgiveness and true holiness can be found. And so the, the Mosaic Covenant does point to God's grace. Yet, the Mosaic Covenant is, again from John Owen, it's, it's better considered to be a republication of the Covenant of Works. Now, the, the, covenant, uh, of the Mosaic Covenant is not exactly, it's not the same thing as the Covenant of Works. And nor is it the Covenant of Grace. The Covenant of Grace is, is one and the same with the, the new covenant in Christ's blood that was, was yet to happen. But with this, this Mosaic Covenant, it was, was meant to, to re revive the sanctions of the covenant of works, including the death sentence for anything less than perfect obedience. And the Mosaic Covenant that you, you see here in Exodus contains three kinds of law, moral law, civil law, and ceremonial law. The moral law is what we're going to be focusing on for the next several weeks. It's, is it summarized in the Ten Commandments? And again, the moral law is inscribed on the hearts of all men, but it was inscribed on two tablets of stone by the finger of God and given to Israel, Exodus 31, 18. Tablets that Moses smashed when he came down from the mountain to find Israel worshiping a golden calf in Exodus 32. And so in the next chapter, in, in Exodus 33, God, or actually in chapter 34, God commanded Moses to cut two new tablets in which God would again inscribe his Ten Commandments. So these Ten Commandments are, are often referred to as the Decalogue, as the, the Ten Words. And on the first table of the Ten Commandments, we have the Commandments, Commands 1 to 4, that focus on our relationship with God. And the second tablet, we have the commandments, verses, in commandments 6 through 10, focusing on our, our relationship with our fellow human beings. Now, it can be argued that the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is actually kind of a hinge commandment because it has Godward elements and also manward elements because included in that commandment is the command to, to let your, your servants, or in our day, your employees, ha have a day off to go to church and to be with their families. But it could also be argued that, that all of the commandments are Godward. Because, because worshiping, worshiping God, it's not just worshiping God that means avoiding, means avoiding idolatry. And worshiping Him in the way that He commands and, and honoring His name and, and setting aside the day He commands. It, when, whenever we, we seek to obey our parents or, or to uphold the sanctity of life or, or to not commit adultery and not steal or lie or covet, we do all of that out of worship for God. 
So again, the Ten Commandments are a summary of the moral will of God. And we're going to see in our studies how the, the commandments go far beyond the basic command. You can see this in the New Testament, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus explained that the command not to commit adultery includes not even looking at a woman lustfully. Or the, the command not to kill means not even to, to hate or to, to insult a brother. And each, each of these commands that we see here, are, they have a, a positive command, but they also, in, inherent in them, are also a, a negative injunction. So it's both, the positive command and the negative injunction. John Cole Cahoon in his Treatise on Law and Gospel demonstrates that, that where a duty is required, the contrary sin is forbidden, Isaiah 58, 13. And where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is required. That's what, what Paul is really doing in the second half of Ephesians, especially you see it in, in 4.28. The command not to steal also includes the positive command, to actually work and to give. And so we're going to see in our studies how the Ten Commandments touch really all of life. So, th so that's the moral law of God and we're going to be focusing on here, but the, the civil law included a variety of national laws that are, were meant to be a law of the land for a, a theocracy, a nation that is, is submitted to the rule of God. <clears throat> and much of the civil law is really the application of moral law. Ten Commandments. For, for example, there, there are civil laws against worshipping false gods, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. In the civil law, we also have laws about, about making parapets or walls on the roof of your house, because back then people had flat roofs and people would congregate on the roof, so it's, it's, it mean, it's for the safety, it's the command, thou shalt not kill, means having a wall to protect. And, and there's an application of that in, in our culture to, out, of, out of love for my brother and, and desire not to have people get hurt or worse in front of, in front of the, your house. You, you shovel your driveway. You shovel your walkway so the people walking by are, don't slip on the ice. There, there are laws in, the, in the, the civil law about sexual ethics. You shall not commit adultery. There are civil laws about not moving a landmarker. And that's just, you shall not steal. And so essentially, the, the civil law is a positive application or expression of the moral law in, in everyday life. And so as such, it's, it's an external curb against sin. Now, of course, we don't live in a theocracy. Quite the opposite. And, and so these, these civil laws do not apply in our culture. They've been abrogated. They, they no longer apply in this culture. They're, they're, they've, they've been overturned. The sacrificial law, was this, it, it, this established the, the priesthood and the sacrificial system. This is the, the second type of law that we find in the Mosaic system. And there were laws going, there, there were sacrifices, of course, as we know, all the way back when, when God first killed a, an animal to cover um, Adam and Eve with skins. That, that was, it was, it it spoke of something that was going to take place in the future. And then when, when Abel sacrificed an animal from his flock, and then we see Noah and Abraham and the other patri patriarchs all, all making sacrifices. Well, the Mosaic Law codifies the, the sacrifices and also establishes the priesthood. And, and these things are all pointed, again, typologically. They, they represent or point to the one who was to come. They, they prefigure, again, the words of the 1689 Baptist Confession, God's graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits. 
We also see in this the, the, the complex system of, of ceremonial washings and, and dietary laws and, and feasts that, that distinguish Israel, that set Israel apart from their neighbors, from the surrounding pagan nations. So again, so that's, that's the, the moral law, the, the, the civil law, and the sacrificial law that you can find, or the ceremonial law that's, that's found in, in the Mosaic Covenant. But we're going to be focusing on the moral law, looking at each of the Ten Commandments, one each week. And the Godward elements of the Ten Commandments are summarized in Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And the manward elements are summarized in Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus combines both of these in Matthew 12, verses 29 to 31. The most important is this. Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command, Jesus said, than these. And so he was, he was taking these direct quotes from the Old Testament, from the Mosaic Law, and then summarizing them in what he referred to as the great or the chief or the most important commandment. And so this, this, this great law, loving God and loving your neighbor, summarizes the Ten Commandments. They summarize the moral law that is also written on the hearts of men. They, they codify God's will and they represent his character. And these two tablets then represent the duty of all people everywhere towards God and towards one another. So then we need to ask the question, who kept the Ten Commandments? Well, Israel didn't keep the Ten Commandments. We've already seen how, how Israel was, was commanded to consecrate themselves so that they would be holy, so that they could be in the same vicinity as the holy God. And when God descended on the mount, it was, was certainly an awe-inspiring sight with, with smoke and thunder and lightning and earthquakes and a trumpet blast. A.W. Pink says that these things were designed to affect them with an awe for his authority and to signify that if God were so terrible in the giving of the law, much more will he be so when he comes to judge us for its violation. And so after the commandments were given in, in, in Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19, the, the people were terrified and they, uh, they said they didn't want to hear from God directly. They wanted Moses to, to be an intercessory, to intercede for them. Because they knew that God was holy and that they were not. And so they understood this law to be what it was for them, a ministration of condemnation and death. And we saw that it, even though the people had outwardly said, we're going to do all that, all that you command, almost immediately afterwards, as Moses was up on Mount Sinai, receiving the two tablets, Israel was, was dancing around a golden calf in a botched, idolatrous, and adulterous frenzy. Well, that's Israel. Have you ever kept the Ten Commandments? Any of them? If you think you have, I have some very bad news for you. You have not kept the Ten Commandments. 
You have not kept any of the Ten Commandments ever. And by the end of our study, you're going to realize that, that you haven't come close, even in your best moments, even in your most selfless acts of service, you haven't kept the Ten Commandments. Even in your most heartfelt prayers, you haven't kept the Ten Commandments. And this is what the Reformers referred, referred to as one of the primary uses of the law, to show us our sin. In Galatians 3.24, I like the King James here, it says the law is referred to as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. The law could never save. The law was never designed to save. The law pointed to the fact that perfect obedience must somehow be provided and that without that perfect obedience, God's blessings, especially salvation, could never be attained. And so the law reminded Israel and us prior to coming to faith that we were guilty of transgressing the covenant of works and that we were deserving of death, eternal death, at the hands of the holy God. And so the law reminded us that we needed to look for another. We needed to look for another. So who then kept the Ten Commandments? Israel didn't keep it. We didn't keep it. So who kept the commandments? Nobody. Nobody that is except one. Except Jesus Christ. God the Son incarnate. But Jesus did not just obey the Ten Commandments. He obeyed the entire covenant of works. He obeyed it and kept it out of obedience to the covenant of redemption, the agreement between the members of the Godhead that, that prior to creation in which salvation would be provided for the elect. The Son volunteered to earn salvation for His people through His incarnation, acting as the mediator of the covenant of grace for the elect. And so in the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ, he fulfilled all of the conditions of the covenant of works and agreed to pay the penalty for those of his elect who broke it. He did all of this for the elect. The Father agreed to reward the Son's obedience by saving the elect. And the Holy Spirit agreed to apply God's, the, 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 the Son's saving work to his people. So no one was saved by keeping the Mosaic Covenant or any of the Old Testament covenants. All Israel was not saved. Only true Israel was saved. And all who were saved are not saved through circumcised foreskins, but through circumcised hearts. All who are saved are not saved through obedience to the Mosaic law, but through faith in the one who did obey, who obeyed perfectly. No one was saved through the old covenant. Salvation only comes through the new covenant in Christ's blood. So if Christ has obeyed the commandments for us, all of the moral law of God for us, then the last question we need to ask here is that should we obey the Ten Commandments. We need to say from the outset that the, the Ten Commandments as they were given to Israel are done. The Ten Commandments as they were finished to Israel are completed. They have been abrogated. They have been 
fulfilled. They are done because of Jesus Christ. Romans, or sorry, um, John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John Owen taught that the whole law of Moses, the civil, ceremonial, and moral law has been abrogated. He said, by all these ways was the church of the Hebrews forewarned that the time would come when the whole Mosaical law as to its legal or covenant efficacy should be disannulled to the unspeakable advantage of the church. So he's saying that, that, that here speaking specifically of the, the moral law, that it's, it's, been, it's been fulfilled, it's been overturned, it's, it's done as, a, as, the, as it was under the old covenant. And, and this is the historic Reformed Baptist position. This is what is declared very clearly in the 1689 London Confession. And, and you can, it's also, the, again, it's the position of, of John Owen, though he was, was Paedo-Baptist, he had, had a very, very detailed and, and very clear understanding, a biblical understanding of, of how this worked and how it came together. Richard Barcelos, in his book, Defense of the Decalogue, wrote that the, the whole law of Moses, as it functioned under the Old Covenant, has been abolished including the Ten Commandments, that not one jot or tittle of the law of Moses functions as Old Covenant law anymore. Well, then why are we studying the Ten Commandments? Listen carefully. Despite the fact that the Ten Commandments no longer function as Old Covenant law, does not mean that they, ha that they have no longer any further purpose. It doesn't function anymore as Old Covenant law, but the Ten Commandments still have an important role in the New Covenant, in the life of the Christian. Hear Vern Poitras. All the commandments of the law are binding on Christians, but the way in which they are binding is determined by the authority of Christ and the fulfillment that takes place in His work. Now, some would say that only moral laws that are repeated in the New Testament are for Christians. The, 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 one of the views that is said here is that if it's not repeated in the old, if, sorry, if it's not repeated in the new, the old we will not do. Or maybe you've heard it like this, we are not under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Christ. Have you heard that before? You need to understand that as a reflection of of who God is doesn't change. God's moral law doesn't change. The Mosaic law does not originate with Moses. It originates with God. And it does not originate on Mount Sinai. It originates in the Garden of Eden, in the covenant of works. The, the, the moral law is, is, the, is the outworking of of the covenant of works, but it's, it's not the, the, the covenant of works itself. It's, it's been abrogated, it's been overturned, but it, again, it still has a function in the life of the New Testament believer. And so to those who would say that, that only those moral laws that are repeated in the New Testament are, are for Christians, well, in one sense, I could go with that. I could agree with that because every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament. Every one of them is presented very clearly in the New Testament. So, so if you want to say that, that's, that's fine, but, but realize that it's there in the New Testament as well. Because it goes back to the beginning. It goes back to who, in fact, in eternity past, of, of who God is. 
And so as, as Christians, we, we can embrace Psalm 119. We can say with David, I love your law, O God. We can say that, that, the, that the law of, of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. We, but we need to understand that we, if the law is only good if you use the law lawfully. Only if you use the law lawfully. So what then is the role of the law in the life of the believer? Now we're going to come back to this, this issue repeatedly during our studies of the Ten Commandments, but, but please turn with me in your Bible for a moment to, to Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of the, almost the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me just read this. Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whatever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." So you see here that, that Jesus is, is saying that, that he's not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, that, that he is the, the mediator now of the moral law of God that helps us to understand what it means to obey God. And he says here that, that it's a good thing to, to do them. And it's a good thing to teach them, not as a system of, of salvation, but as, a, as an expression of God's moral will. Jesus is saying here that the Old Testament still has a role, that there's still a, a, a binding in a sense of, of the Old Testament on God's people, but not like it used to be. We need to understand the Ten Commandments in light of the New Covenant. The, the law of God, and in fact the whole of the Old Testament is realized and applied in Christ. The whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets are under the lordship of Christ and they're ethically binding until his kingdom is consummated. But when we hear things like, like words like binding, we say, well, I don't want to be bound to the law. Well, think about, about your car for a second. You, you have an owner's manual in your car, maybe you haven't read it. In fact, most of us probably haven't, but, but you have an owner's manual in your car. And in that owner's manual, you will learn the right way to operate your vehicle. If you try to put diesel fuel in a petrol car, your engine is going to die. Your car is going to be a hunk of junk. If you if you try to operate your car other than the way that it was designed to operate, then you will ruin your car. And likewise, the moral law of God means operating according to the way that God has designed us to operate. Remember, he see, Israel didn't see this, didn't, the way that God describes it, it's, it's actually a blessing to them. God has not dealt like this with any other people than to, to reveal his, his commands to them. Beyond just having them written in their hearts, they've, they've been given the explicit commands. This was, was a blessing. And so for us as, as 
Christians, we have not just the New Testament, but we have the whole of the Bible to show us what God is like and what his will is. So I wrote earlier that the position of John Owen and the Reformed Baptists was that the moral law as given to Moses has been abrogated, but John Owen also wrote that it is returned thither, that comes back again by the grace of the new covenant. And quotes there, Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the new covenant written on the hearts of God's people. Also 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Although this, he said, John Owen says that although the, this law was a covenant, as a covenant was broken and disannulled by the entrance of sin, it became insufficient as unto its first ends of justification and salvation of the church. It cites uh, Romans 8 verse 3, yet as a law, excuse me, as a law and rule of obedience, it was never disannulled, nor would God allow it to be. Yes, one principal design of God in Christ was that it might be fulfilled and abolished. Sorry, that's an important word. Fulfilled and established, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. In Romans 3, 31, he says, to reject this law or to abrogate it had been for God to have laid aside the glory of his holiness and righteousness in which his infinite wisdom he designed therein. So, so God has abolished the Ten Commandments as it was under the Old Covenant, but in the New Covenant, it plays a vitally important role in the life of the believer. This is referred to as the, now as the third use of the law, as, as a guide to, into God's moral will. C.H. Spurgeon said that the law is the road which guides us, not the road, sorry, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. The law is good and excellent if it keeps its place. So you understand what Spurgeon is saying here. He, he's referring again to Calvin's third use of the law. That the God's law helps us to understand God's will. The law is not the rod that drives us because we know that we're saved by grace alone. The law is not the spirit that actuates us because it is the, the work of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and give us a desire to obey. So as God's people, we have been given this gift of God's word in order to understand God's moral law, how it applies to us as Christians. Not in order to, to earn righteousness. We've received that righteousness through the obedience of Jesus Christ and through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. But as those who have been saved by God, as those whose faith is in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. We can look to God's law to help us understand how he would have us live in this life. May God give us hearts to say like David, oh, how I love your law. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for these mysteries that you revealed to us in your word. Lord, we thank you that you have written the law on the hearts of all people so that there's a sense in which everyone knows what's right and what's wrong. They have a conscience. Lord, I pray if there are those here among us who have seared their consciences through willful disobedience that you would use these studies in your law to, to awaken 
their consciences, Lord, to their disobedience and to their, their utter and complete need of a Savior. Lord, I thank you that the vast majority of us here are by your grace truly converted. And we have had our guilt imputed to Christ and we have had his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience credited to our account. We can do nothing to make you love us more. Yet, Lord, you have given us your law to help us to see how we can love you more. How we can love and glorify you as we seek to obey you. And not as though we could ever earn points with you. But Lord, as you say, if we love you, we will keep your commandments. Help us, Lord. To be a people who are marked by holiness and obedience for the glory of your name and for the building of your church. Amen.